This message was given at Campus Fellowship's 2021 Fall Conference. The theme of the conference was the five solas. Kansas State University CF Director John Hastings shares on glory alone. We hope this is encouraging. So this time, we're going to turn our attention and we're going we're gonna to ask uh, what, what is the last, uh, you know, last, I'll say this, the fourth, uh, glory alone, which is to God alone be the glory. Soli Deo Gloria. And actually, um, none, of the, none of the reformers, uh, Luther or Calvin, uh, n- none of those guys uh, said uh, Soli Deo Gloria. It's not in any of their writings. And, and this is one, if you look at what the Catholic Church says, like they, they kind of agree. They're like, okay, I think, yeah, that's Amen, right? Like, it's like the one thing they kind of don't have a blatant disagreement uh, with us on necessarily. But uh, what I'm going to hope to show you tonight is that the fundamental, glorious, wonderful thing that the Reformers found when they found faith alone and grace alone through Christ alone was that the glory of God is that, is that glory goes to God alone. That's my hope. And um, I, I just have... Uh, a bit of a, a, just a concern for us. I think that w- there's a lot of Christians in the room. A lot of you raised Christians. And a lot of you might be sitting through these messages and you're thinking things like, yep, uh, grace alone. I've got that one. I got it. I know that doctrine. I agree with that. That's true. Amen. Uh, Christ alone. Amen. It's just only by Christ that we're saved. I've, I've got that. Check. Faith alone. Yep, I'm good. And my concern tonight is that we will agree with our minds to certain doctrines and that we won't worship the holy God that's behind all of those doctrines, if that makes sense. And and so my goal here tonight, I just want to fan you into flame for your love for God, for the glory of God, because we all have a tendency uh, myself included, we have this tendency to see God as less glorious, right? We get saved, we're on fire for God, we want to share the gospel with everybody, and then life just starts to happen in school and homework and decisions, and all these things come at us, and, and it seems like the glory of God just gets more dim, more dim, more dim. And so the reformers, they had this saying, they had this rallying cry, they said, uh, the church must always be reforming. It must always be reforming. And what they meant by that is they saw that they were no better than the Catholic Church, right? Sometimes I feel like we're getting up here and you might feel like we're dogging on the Catholic Church. You might feel like we're uh, saying negative things about them, uh, but they, they, they are infected with the sin uh, that, that we're infected with. The same sin, campus fellowship, us in this room, same thing. And that is what happened to them. What I hope to show you this uh, evening, what went wrong with them is eventually they stopped seeing the glory of God. They fell out of love with God largely. And I think that was partly because of some of the doctrine they had. I think it's partly because they grew to such heights of power and prestige and wealth. And there's all kinds of things that, again, we're going to get into. Uh, But we at Campus Fellowship, guys, we are no different. We are absolutely prone to that exact same thing, individually and corporately. I want Campus Fellowship to be on fire for Jesus in this whole nation for 30 years. And the only way that's going to happen is if we individually keep God at the center of our lives, continue to see Him as glorious and wonderful, and just be in love with Him radically. If that stops happening, campus fellowship stops being good. And how, how sad, that would just be sad, man. Like, I love you guys. 
I love what the Lord's done on your campuses. I love what He's doing in our campus. I love it that we can get together and worship God together. And, and, and just, I, I look at these leaders, I'm just thinking, what are you guys going to do? You're going to go on to jobs. You're going to have families. You could change the world, right? Smaller people than have been in this room before has ma- have massively changed the world. When they saw the glory of God uh, deeply and profoundly, and they just and went out into the world on fire. And I just imagine what God could do if we were that. It would just be a tragedy. Tragedy if we lost sight. Absolute tragedy. And so my hope, my aim, is just to worship with you tonight. Worship with you over Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. See God as glorious and recognize that He receives and ought to get and we want Him to have all of the glory because He is glorious, because He is worthy. He's just burning inside of me tonight. So why don't you guys open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where I'm going to show it to you from. We're going to look at some of the history of the Catholic Church again. And uh, we're going to look at some of these doctrines and we're going to ask God to glorify Himself. So would you pray with me? Oh God, God, I just, I want you to be glorified. God, I really mean that. (laughs) I really, I want these students, these people, these directors, these Bible study leaders, all of them, I want them to see you as more glorious than they do. I want them to feel sorrow that they have forgotten, forsaken, turned from their first love, God. Oh Lord, oh God, would you do it? God, I can't, I can't do it. So, Lord, I just pray that you would fan our hearts into flames. I pray that we would remember tonight, that tonight would be a time when something changed, when we are more on fire, more zealous, seeking you all the more. God, and would you just sustain this work in our lives? Don't let it be just an hour here, but God, let us go home on fire. Let us serve you in our jobs on fire. Let us serve you in our churches on fire. Let us bless and love our families on fire. God, help us. I just pray that you'd do it, Lord. I pray you'd do it through your word. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, you're open to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. We're going to get there, but uh, let me give you some background first, okay? Um, so a lot of people have gone through the Catholic... You guys will learn a lot about the Catholic Church. This is good. This is good. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. And we're all kind of hitting different perspectives, okay? And so this is not bad. Okay, so uh, I want to start, I want to pick up in the year 1073, 1073, okay? Uh, I want to I paint a picture uh, specifically of the power of the Roman Catholic Church and, and how the power of that church uh, contributed or was a symptom of their uh, uh, corruption. And when I say corruption of the Catholic Church, I'm not topping, topping subjectively. That's an objective statement. The Catholics, they'll go back and they'll tell you, yeah, some things were messed up, right? We, we have popes like sleeping with people, like they had a harem. Like we had people selling the papacy for money. Like there's just some crazy things going on back here. Everybody kind of knew that there needed to be a reformation. It wasn't just Luther and Zwingli. It's not like everybody was like, everything's fine. Everything's great. What are these guys saying? That everybody kind of felt it. These guys were just the ones that were bold enough that came forward that God revealed some things to and did it through, and some people didn't like it. So there's 1073, and I just want to paint a picture for you of the power of the Catholic Church at this time. So uh, one thing we have to understand is, is that they didn't necessarily have like, you know, like Germany's over here and then India's real nice and clean right here. And then, you know, uh, Rome's over here. They, like they kind of had that, but it, the, it wasn't that settled. People followed individual tribes and kings, especially in those northern kingdoms. You had a lot of Germanic tribes, the Visigoths and the Vandals. You had some uh, people up there and, and it was just kind of a, a mass of people. It's not like you could have a map of the whole world. 
right? And, and so over a large, gigantic section of land, most of Europe, uh, you, you had the Roman Catholic Church reigning, uh, but alongside of it, the government was reigning. Okay, so it wasn't as if, uh, it, it wasn't as if, you know, uh, there were really clear and obvious spheres of authority, of power. Uh, uh, it was like, this is all God's, and then the two arms of God, one arm is the government and the other arm is the church, but they're both equal, doing God's will, serving together. Does that make sense? You tracking? Okay, and so what happened is it led to kind of a, a conflict between the king and the popes, or the kings and the pope, about who's really in charge here. Like, like, in theory, they work together, you stay in your lane, we'll stay in our lane, but it didn't work out like that practically. And so there came a period of time where the kings kind of gained the upper hand, and they were the ones that were electing uh, the church leaders into power. They were the ones electing the popes and the bishops and things like that. And, and just take a second and imagine if our government chose who got to be pastor of our churches. That'd be a problem. It'd be a big problem, right? Big, big problem. And, and it was a problem. And, and the churches did get more corrupt. And, and some people saw this. They said this is a problem. And, and a certain pope was elected. He was uh, made the pope. I think his name is Leo. It's in my notes here somewhere. And Leo basically said, enough. Enough of this uh, watering down of the papacy, watering down of the Roman Catholic Church. I'm going to pick who is the cardinal or the, the, all the cardinals that are going to elect the next pope. I'm going to purify the church. I'm going to take back power. And the king, King Henry, he didn't like that for obvious reasons. He didn't like it that power was taken away from him. So basically what King Henry IV said was he came around and he said, hey, hey, don't listen to the Pope. You don't have to listen to him anymore. Uh, God is, look at Romans 13, right? God has given me authority. He's given me power. You should obey me. Don't listen to that guy. Okay, uh, it's kind of a problem here. The Pope, <laughs> like, you're going to do that to me, I'm going to do that to you, right? So he basically went to the people and he said, hey, hey, uh, King Henry is excommunicated. And what you, what you need to understand about excommunication back then is if you're saved by faith plus works, and those works are things like going to church and participating in the mass and doing things like that, when the church says, hey, the mass doesn't count anymore, we're not doing it, uh, this person's out of the church, uh, they're basically condemning them to hell. Right? Like church discipline today, it's like, hey, you can't come to church, you can't come to the Bible study, you need to repent, right? Uh, church discipline back then was, hey, hey, you're going you're gonna to go to hell. At best, you're going to have lots and lots of time in purgatory. This is a huge deal of what he was doing to King Henry. But King Henry was apparently just like a really bold dude, didn't care that much. He was like, whatever. I don't know, maybe he probably didn't actually believe, right? Just like, whatever. The problem is all of his subjects believed, so the Roman Catholic Church was universal. It's not like today where you go and some people are Christians and some people aren't. Like everyone was baptized as babies, right? That's how they did their census. That's how they knew how to tax you. They looked at the Baptist registry, which means everybody, every child got baptized. Everyone thought of themselves as a Catholic. Everyone. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like you were super weird if you said you weren't a Catholic. You were, you were just insane. Like you, you were probably killed. And so these peasants, believing in heaven and hell, believing in purgatory, uh, that, uh, <laughs> well, the king, uh, the, when the pope saw the excommunication didn't work, he, he did something called an interdict. And an interdict is basically where he says an entire nation is excommunicated, essentially. 
an entire, like, entire massive group of people. All of their masses didn't count. All of their communion didn't count. None of it counted. He was basically condemning a country to hell. And so obviously the people have an issue with this. They rise up against King Henry. Uh, every day that goes by, the years in purgatory are racking up for them. Right? They're starting to freak out. And, and what happened, this is an iconic image, is that king, he traveled over mountaintops in the dead of winter and stood in front of the Pope's place. And the Pope wouldn't let him in for three days barefoot in the snow. And this king was just humbling himself, just saying, I'm sorry, let me back in. Let our country back in. Let us in. And it was just this incredible image of the church winning over against the government. And now all of a sudden, right, uh, he released the interdict, he, he let the king back into the church, but he gained all the power. Do you see that? And I just want us to take a second and just think about what kind of power that is. Like, like the United States, we can push a button, and at a great cost, like literally dollars, we can launch an atomic bomb and kill thousands of people. It would damage our reputation. Uh, it, would, it, would, you know, it would be awful. It would be a horrible thing. It would cost lots of money, right? Uh, uh, and we would kill some people. The Catholic Church back then, with a word, could not just kill you, but could send you to hell. And not just you, your entire nation. That, that's, an ins that's an unfathomable amount of power right? Unfathomable. And that kind of power uh, led them to be able to leverage that and gain a lot of money through selling things like indulgences, through just, uh, you know, they have, when they have all this power, people are going to do whatever you want. You, you hold the keys to heaven and hell. What do you want? I'll give it to you. Just let me in, vicar of Christ. And they use this power to gain more power, more prestige, more wealth. And in the end, it corrupted them. I, I just having that picture in your mind now, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and this is what the early church was. This, this is, just think about it, this is what the Apostle Paul said. This is what, you know, the equivalent of maybe, okay, this is a great leader in the early church. This is how he talked. Compare this to the Pope. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 5, he says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's the heart of New Testament Christianity, right? That's the heart of our Lord coming down and washing the feet of his apostles. And, and just compare that, think about that, juxtapose that with the Pope uh, condemning swaths of people to hell because he wants more power for himself. They've fallen radically. What happened? What happened? It's, it's actually tragic, right? Like, like it's, it's not something to boast about. It's not something, to, look, look how great we are, look how bad they are. It's tragic. Because that Catholic church, that's the same church that gave us Augustine, gave us Jerome. That's the same church that gave us Polycarp. It's the same church that gave us all these heroes in the faith, Tertullian. It's the same church that, you, you know, that you turn from Acts. It, it's the Catholic church, man. What happened? It's the same thing that'll happen to us campus fellowship, if we lose sight of the glory of God, they lost sight of the goodness and glory and wonder of God. They lost sight of it. Look at, look at me now. What does Paul say? Why does Paul act that way? Why does he say, I'm your servant? <laughs> 
Well, why does he talk that way? Look at me. He says, for, this is why I act that way, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's referring, referencing Genesis there. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Do you see that? Like when you see God in his glory, when he speaks that into you, when, it, when the lights come on and you see behind all of the doctrine, it's not just right doctrine for you anymore, it's reality and there's a real God that's like that and this, uh, you see his glory, you no longer want that glory for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you stop trying to dress so that everybody will see you. You stop wanting everybody to notice you. You stop wanting glory for yourself and power and prestige and all of these things. And you just say, I'm your servant for Christ's sake. Guys, I just want him to get all of the glory. I want him to have it all. He deserves it all. I don't want any of it. I don't want to take an ounce from him. I can't give him enough. If I held back anything, I'd be doing him a disservice. The glory of God, seeing it, Gosh, guys, that, that's what it is that keeps us. That's what it is that keeps us in the Christian ethic. That's what it is that keeps us moving. That's what keeps us rolling. And this is what the reformers saw when they recovered all these doctrines. It wasn't necessarily about the doctrine. It was about finding and seeing and loving God again. This is what Martin Luther says. I've just got an extended quote for you here. This is the story of his salvation. I want you to listen when I tell you this. He, he rediscovered justification by faith alone. That's what you're going to hear him talking about. But he doesn't say it explicitly, but you can see it everywhere. Okay? What, what, just listen for him recapturing the glory of God here. Watch him fall in love with God in these phrases. Okay, so uh, meanwhile, this is Martin Luther teaching me. He, he was a monk. He was really well educated. He fasted so much that he ruined his bowels, had bowel troubles the rest of his life. Uh, he, he, he woke up at like 2 a.m. to pray like every day. This dude was a baller, right? A stud. Like he, he, he just knew he wasn't going to get married single for Christ, right? Like he, he was on, he, it seems like just looking at his life, he was on fire. He was teaching the word. And so this is what he says. Meanwhile, I had already during that year returned to interpret the Psalter, the Psalms anew. And, and so he's gaining confidence in his ability to understand and teach the Bible. He said, I had confidence in the fact that I was more skillful after I had lectured in the university on St. Paul's epistles to the Romans, to the Galatians. And this is interesting. He thinks that Paul wrote Hebrews and the one to the Hebrews. I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary ardor for understanding Paul and the epistle to the Romans. But up till then, it was not the cold blood about the heart, I don't know what that means, but a single word in chapter one. Okay, he, he's just laboring over one thing in chapter one. He just can't get past it. What is it? It's this. It says, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That phrase, that had stood in my way, for I hated that word, righteousness of God. Do you, see, do you hear him say, I hated that word, righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all the teachers of the time, this is doctrine now, I had been taught to understand philosophically regarding the formal or active righteousness, as they call it, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. 
That, that's, what, that's what he thought when he saw righteousness of God. He thought of it as just the, God is just so righteous, so holy that he has to punish, does punish. That's what they thought that meant. And while you can, okay, that's kind of, I know that's true. He has to do that. That's not what that text means, right? And so guys, this is Martin Luther. Like he's lived a more Christian life, I promise you, than any of us. He didn't watch TV at all, ever. He couldn't. If he had one, he wouldn't have. Like, he fasted nonstop. He read the Bible until he like, lost his vision. He's just an insane dude. And he says this, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe, I couldn't, like literally, he could not believe it. It's not just a phrase. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. In other words, his penance. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. He hates God. I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. As if, indeed, it is not enough that miserable sinners, eternally lost through original sin, are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, without having God add pain to pain by the Gospel, and also by the Gospel threatening us with His righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience." In other words, he's doing all these good deeds, and at the bottom of them, he's constantly evaluating himself. He can find reasons not to trust them. He can find reasons why all the good deeds that he's done aren't really good. Maybe there's false motives, or maybe there's, uh, he didn't do it completely well, or maybe but he's just looking within himself, and he's just finding sin, 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 sin. And to a person that's saved by faith and works, that's devastating. That's devastating. Nevertheless, I beat importunately, in other words, just almost like aggressively, like a, uh, like uh, not very kindly, upon Paul at that place, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Context, 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 guys. Namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. In other words, he started to understand this righteousness of God as an alien righteousness that God gives to those that have faith, like a cloak that you put on. He, he got it. It just it clicked. This is amazing. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. And listen to this, guys. This is the glory. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered into paradise itself through open gates. There I, a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. And then he says there, and then I just, this says he ran through the scripture from memory and suddenly it just came alive to him. The whole book is about Jesus and righteousness and grace. And he just saw how amazing it was. He was born again. But do you see, do you see, it wasn't just a mental ascent. Oh, okay, we've gotten this wrong. Now we've got it right. We're saved by uh, faith alone. No, no, no. Suddenly he went from hating God to, to, to loving him, just loving him with all of his heart. He says, and I extolled my sweetest word with a love as great as the hatred with which I had before hated the word righteousness of God. 
Do you see that? It's not just about doctrine. It's in, doctrine's incredibly important because <laughs> it reveals who the God is behind the doctrine. Do you, does that make sense? It reveals the glorious, wonderful God that saves us by grace alone, right? So, so when the reformers, specifically Martin Luther, when they recaptured this, that he died for us while we were yet sinners, in other words, grace alone, that we had nothing to offer him, and having nothing to offer him, in other words, uh, through Christ alone, and that we are access to salvation, not by works, but by faith alone, what they rediscovered behind, I'm going to say this again and again and again, is the glorious God behind all those things. <laughs> Doesn't it just make you worship? Doesn't it? It should. <laughs> it should. And here's what I see happen in my heart. And, 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 and uh, the Bible tells me you're a lot like me. So I'm betting this is happening in your heart. You've sat through a night, an entire day of these teachings that turned Martin Luther's world upside down, turned the world upside down. And we've probably, for the most part, nodded along. We've smiled. We've affirmed that. That's true. That's good doctrine. And we have not been moved the way we ought to be moved. You know what I'm saying? We have not let it hit us the way it ought to hit us. So let's go back through these again. And just right now, just commit yourself to meditating on the God behind the doctrine. Fall in love with him again. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking to students right now. Like, like campus directors... We need, like, I'm talking to you guys. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Luke. <laughs> Not just you, brother, but. <laughs> like, Bible study leaders, like, this is, this is you, right? Pastors, like, this is us. We need to be reforming all the time. We need to be reviving all the time. Such is the wickedness of our heart that we don't see the noonday sun. We don't see God shining in all of his glory. That's how blind we are. So look at this, faith alone. Gosh, faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. Gosh, uh, let's start with grace alone. So we're saved by grace alone. And this, listen to the God behind this, this, uh, while God loved you while you were yet sinning. What does this mean? What does this really mean? Grace alone, right? It's, it's not necessarily an attempt to make you small, even though it does that. That's just because it's true. You are small. It's an attempt to make him big. While you were yet a sinner, what's the worst thing you've ever done in your life? The thing you're ashamed of, somebody was saying, right? The thing that you don't want anybody to know about. God saw it, he knew it, and he loved you. And he saved you. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because of His grace, because of His mercy. Oh, what a God. What a God. If you've ever thought about it, right? Have you ever read like a fantasy novel? Like what's the kind of God that man invents again and again and again? What's Thor like? A man-made God. He's a warrior God that punishes injustice like just harshly, wicked, cruelly, right? He's just this warrior God that demands justice. Every God that we've ever made is one that says, come here and kneel at my feet, you wretched little bug, right? I didn't know a word was going to come out. <laughs> bug. <laughs> Your bug. Bug. That, that's what we come up with. And, and the God of the universe, as he truly is, when he came down to heaven, 
knelt at our feet and washed our feet. Just, oh, what a Savior, right? Like, He is that majestic. He is that powerful. He is all of those things. And He washes our feet. Don't you love Him? Don't you love Him? This is our God, God. This is who we serve. This is reality. This is the God of the universe. He didn't have to be like this. He could have just seen sin. He could have seen the world fall apart and just said, see ya, I'll go start on another planet in this massive universe that I've made. I just give up on you guys, figure it out. But he didn't. What? Instead, like Blake was saying, I think your brother's name is Blake, the the guy that said he likes to do dumb stuff, Blake. (laughs) I want to be that guy's friend, by the way. Cool guy. Anyways, hang with me. I I didn't mean to bring it down. Bring it back up here. Right, that, that God... Instead of going to another planet and starting over, it's not just that he bears with us, he dies for us. What? Can God even die if he becomes a man? And he did. What a savior, don't you love him? Christ alone. We're saved by Christ alone. Like, I don't even know if I have words for this, right? Like, like. We're just set free. Like, it's, not, it's not like he came down and he saved us and, and now we're like his slaves. <laughs> I mean, in one sense, we are slaves of Christ, right? But it's not like a dragging our feet. I saved you just, just so that you would serve me, but I don't love you. Right? It's, it's, it wasn't so that he could just get something out of it. He has everything. He owns the world. He didn't need anything from us, right? And so when he saves us, it's by Christ alone and no works that we have to offer. And so Martin Luther can just feel all of this weight fall off of his shoulders, that even though all those works are tainted and, and not good, he can just forget about it because Jesus paid it all. He didn't just store up a treasury of merit to be accessed. He, he, he just paid for all of our sins if we believe and we're saved by Christ alone. He made the way abundantly wide open for us. Oh, what a Savior. It's not done by you being an amazing guy. It's not done by something we couldn't do. He could have demanded things of us. He could have demanded that we act this way and do that and sacrifice this and offer our firstborn child. He'd be in every every right. It would be his right to do that. And instead he says, by the death of my son alone. And all of these things are accessed by faith alone. Like, I can kind of understand why people want to kick back. Like, can it really be that good? That's when you know you've started to grasp the gospel in its fullness, when you start to think to yourself, is it really that good? Is this good news that incredible? Is it, is it, could it be, dare I hope, that it's that good? And not only is it that good, but that God is that good? Oh, I hope we're the kind of people that are able to say that. Oh, I hope we are. And I hope if you're not, I hope you feel it starting inside of you. I hope you feel that little fire just starting to burn inside of you. Maybe he is that good. Maybe he is that great. Maybe he is that wonderful. Do you see it? Do you see the glory of God? If you do, if you do, you'll just want to give him all the glory. Like some people are kind of offended by this doctrine because they're like God's selfish and he wants all this glory for himself. But if you've tasted this, it's, it's just the only thing that can be. It's like the 24 elders before the throne in Revelation just casting their crowns and just worshiping God. 
They just, all the glory to you, all the glory to you. Worthy are you worthy to receive all the glory. I don't want it. Here's the crown. You take it. That's what happens to you. Are you like that? Do, do you long for him to be glorified? Like, do you want the people sitting next to you, do you want them to worship more full-throatedly? Do you want them to be filled with joy as they picture their Father in heaven? Do you want them to know and love the glory of God? What about your family? What about your dad? What about your mom? What about your brother? What about your sister? Do you want them to see the glory of God? Do you want thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God, as it says later on in 2 Corinthians? Are you hungry for His glory? I I hope you're getting there. And I hope you never turn back. So I'm going to move now into uh, something that seems kind of ridiculous. A question, why do we need to see His glory? And, and that's, that's ridiculous in the same sense as, me, as somebody asking, like, well, why do I need to see the Grand Canyon? Right? Because <laughs> it's amazing. It's awesome, right? It's just incredible. But, you know, time's a thousand. But I'm going to try anyways. Why do you need to see it? Number one, why don't you guys look with me? Uh, that's 2 Corinthians 4.15. Just stay in 2 Corinthians. Turn with me to chapter 4, verse 15. This is still Paul talking here. And he makes this interesting, it sounds almost dichotomous statement. He's talking about sharing the gospel. He's talking about Jesus uh, you know, being raised from the dead and us being raised with him. And then he says in verse 15, for it is all for your sake. And that sounds a little different from to God alone be the glory, right? Uh, For it is all for your sake. But keep reading, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. And then what's the end of that? To the glory of God. Do you see? And so what Paul is saying here is that the best thing for you tonight The best thing, like we want to talk about guarding ourselves and having correct doctrine. The best way to guard yourself isn't just to know correct doctrine, it's to love it. It's to see the glory of God and just cling to it. And you say, no, grace alone, this has done things to me. I've seen how good God is when I got this. I never will leave from this stand. I'll die on this hill. It's worth so much to me. That's how you're defended from false doctrine, loving correct doctrine. Right? And apparently, the best thing for you, it's for your sake that all these things happen, uh, is so that it, uh, thanksgiving can increase to the glory of God. So the best thing that can happen to you is you give thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's for your sake. It's this dichotomous thing where the more you glorify God, the better it is for you. Right? It's because it's what we're made for. Like, why do we need to see this? Why do we need to see this? It's because it's what you were made for. And when you live and do what you were made to do, things work well, right? When, when, you, when you use something, what it's not meant to do, it goes poorly, right? Like, have you ever almost accidentally put diesel into your gasoline engine? It's going to go poorly. Thankfully, I think they make them different sizes. I actually almost did that one time. It was really bad. Right? But if you were made for the glory of God... If you were made to glorify him, then the more you do it, the greater you see him, the more you love him, the better it is for you. The more joy you have, the better it is for your family, the better it is for the people around you, just the better it is. Which means that we need to be the kind of people, Campus Fellowship, I'm commissioning you. We need to be the kind of people that seek the Lord daily. How are you going to see him more? You're going to seek him. How do I see the glory of God, John? Well, you show up to everything. 
everything. Be hungry for righteousness. What happened to the apostles when they got saved? It was day after day they were in each other's houses breaking bread. Do you see it? They're hungry. They're hungry for more of God. They're hungry for more teaching. They're hungry to be around other Christians. They're hungry to talk about Him. They're hungry to take communion together. They're hungry for God. So show up to everything. Man, you got homework to do? I might get myself in trouble here. Man, skip it. (laughs) Go to Campus Fellowship. Go to Midweek. Bro. Your parents are going to be like, uh, (laughs) what camp did I send you to? What did they tell you? Don't do your homework. That's the one thing you guys are going to get out of this. Don't do your homework. Yeah. Please, no. Okay, do your home, stay up late and do your homework at night, after Campus Fellowship, after midweek, right? Or better yet, stop playing video games and get it done when you would have played video games, right? Don't shade. Don't shade. Hey, hey, seek the Lord. I'm, I'm dead serious. Seek Him. Show up to everything. Go to Bible study. Go to midweek. Go to Sunday. You find out there's an event, go to it. It's like 90% is just showing up, be around other Christians, be immersed in a culture of people that love God. And then you'll start to, right? The people that aren't here tonight, I don't know, maybe, I mean, God can do anything. He can can cause them to come alive for the glory of God, but I've got a lot better faith and hope that he's going to do it for somebody in this room because they're here, right? Read the Bible, guys. What happened to Martin Luther? He pounded on the scriptures. When it didn't make sense, he prayed about it. He meditated on the scriptures. They were his thoughts day and night. Read it and love it. Don't just read it to check off something from a list. Seek God in the word. Seek him. Pray not without ceasing. Seek him. Seek him, guys. Seek him, seek him, seek him. It's like what we, Hosea said, the apostle. He says all these things they need to repent of. And then he says, what is it? What, what was he, what's the message been this whole time? Let us press on to know the Lord. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. And so, and so the other thing you need to do, you have to do, if you want to know the Lord more, you've got to repent of your sin. You've got, what do you want? It's your, it's, in one sense, it's your choice. Do you want more of God? Do you want to know Him? Do you want to love Him? Do you want to rejoice in Him? Then repent of that sin. Whatever the Lord just brought to your mind, that. Stop it. Guys, our sin separates us from God. Our sin shows fundamentally we're seeking after something other than God. Turn from it, and you are turning to seek God. Repenting of your sin is seeking God. It's the same thing. Repent of your sin. And if you're not sure if it's sin... Right? You're like, I don't know. Is this sin? Is this not sin? Just repent of it anyways. Just because just, here's the deal. I've never had something that's genuinely good, genuinely right, genuinely true that I've been like, is this sin or not? <laughs> right? There's an old lady hobbling across the street. Would it be sinful for me to help her? No. Of course. Like, Sometimes what we do is we, we, we basically say, is this sin? Is this not sin? And we're just giving ourselves room to continue in it. Does that make sense? Our flesh wants to do it. Our, our spirit is convicting us. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. And we know we need to repent of it. We're like, ah, is it really? Just, just repent, man. Just, just stop. If you're not sure, I, I guarantee you it's not helping you in your walk with the Lord. I guarantee you it's not. 
Repent of your sin if you want to know the Lord. And if you're not baptized, like if you believe God and you want to follow Him and you haven't been baptized, get baptized. If you were a baby and you don't even remember it, get baptized. We're Baptists around here. We can say that, right? We're not Presbyterians. Get baptized. This is what baptism is. It's you saying the old me is dead and I'm rising to life anew with Christ, and I'm going to rise again with Christ. It's, you, it's, it's like First Peter says, it's like the flood that washed away all the sin of the world. Right? It's you washing away your sin in one sense. It's you, I'm done with that. I don't want that sin anymore. I'm going to baptize it. And it is not, it's not that the baptism is saving you, but it's you crying out to God for a clear conscience. Crying out to Him for a clear conscience. Give me a clear conscience, Lord. Wash me of my sin, Lord. I want you, Lord. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Do we have a baptism tank here? We got a pond. We can't get in that pond, can we? (laughs) Seek him. Listen, listen, seek him. I'm serious. Seek him. Like set your face to seek him when you walk out of here. You're already here, which means you're seeking him somewhat. Seek him more. Seek Him all the more. He's worthy. He is absolutely worth it. Okay? And here's what's going to happen if you don't seek Him. Here's what's going to happen. I promise you this, because this is the fundamental state of our hearts. You're going to backslide. You're going to. You're going to stop seeing God as glorious. You're going to stop seeing Him as lovely. Sin's going to look more and more attractive as God looks less and less attractive. And you're going to run after sin, and you're going to backslide in your faith. And I don't know what your eternal state will be. I don't know. Seek Him. Seek the Lord. And, and, and even if you do continue to go to church, if you don't seek Him, if you don't know Him, if you don't love Him, uh, you're going to fall into legalism, right? What is legalism other than, you know, let's say, if, if you're a Christian that's deeply disciplined, right? If you're one of the guys or gals here, you're like that kind of person, you always wake up on time for your alarm, you get straight A's, you always do your homework, that's you, right? You've got to be careful here because if you lose sight of the glory of God, you're probably going to keep on doing Christian things, you're going to keep showing up to church. It's just going to be empty for you. You're going to keep showing up to fall conferences. It's just not going to be that awesome for you. You're going to keep reading your Bible, and then you're going to check it off the list, and you're going to close it. It's not going to be that great for you. Why are you doing that? If it's not for the glory of God because you love Him and you want to seek Him, it must be because you're trying to gain something. Even if you won't say you're trying to gain your salvation, you're trying to gain something. That's legalism. Or if you're not super disciplined, right? If you're just kind of like probably Blake. I don't know. Maybe Blake's really disciplined. But you just fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> Blake's way bigger than me. Did he say he wrestled? Was he a wrestler? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Who's not a wrestler? If you're like Jacob Bennett. <laughs> no, I'm serious, though. Listen, I'm serious. If you're not that disciplined of a person, what's going to happen is you're, you're probably just going to stop showing up. You're going to stop reading the Bible. You're going to stop doing these things, right? When you stop seeing the glory of God, you're going to backslide, right? That's, it's just massively important that you see the glory of God. It's what makes your worship acceptable. Like, I, I, remember, I, I remember when I first got saved, and I read Revelation chapter 4, and it freaked me out. It just freaked me out. Because these elders are just on their face, worshiping God, and I had been, grown up kind of in, where I had never really seen anyone on fire for God. We kind of said our prayers because we had to at dinner time in a monotone voice, and we were done. And so then I kind of put that on these guys, and I just imagined them going, Worthy are you, Lord, to receive honor and power and glory. <laughs> And I was like, dude, that's weird. 
I don't, like, I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. Right? But what, what does that represent? What was really happening? Uh, in my mind, I didn't think they loved God. I didn't think they really glorified and loved him and wanted to do that. I thought they'd lost sight of the glory of God. And even God says that worship to him when your heart doesn't love him is detestable. Right? He says, I, I hate iniquity in Psalm Assembly in Isaiah. I hate it. And so all of our worship, right, it can become like that, where you're just like a robot bowing to God, showing up what you need to do if you lose sight of the glory of God. So seek him. So seek him. Now, I want to close with this. It can be difficult to know. I've been asking you a lot, do you see the glory? And, and maybe there's some of you guys, you're thinking like, yeah, I see it, but like, I want to see it more, right? Maybe there's some of you that are like, I kind of see it. I don't know. Some of you are just on fire. You definitely see it. Some of you guys are like, I used to see it and, and, it's, and it's dimmed. And so I just want to go through each of these categories really quick. And I just want to use this image of what Paul is saying about God has caused light to be born into our hearts, right? And uh, light is what we see. It's what allows us to see the world as it really is. When the lights come on, we see the world for what it really is. It's all about the glory of God, okay? So if you don't see it and you don't care, in other words, if you're looking at the clock going, man, this guy's gone long. I really want to eat some s'mores. Like, like what, what 2 Corinthians says is even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. In other words, if you're sitting here tonight and if you're bored, not because I'm a, a, a good speaker, because we're talking about some incredibly glorious things tonight. If you're bored, I, I don't know, man. Satan has blinded, you're blind. Satan has blinded your eyes. You are perishing. And the only thing I can say for you to do, your only hope is to be like the blind man that heard about Jesus, the one that can remove blindness, blindness and just cry out to him to remove your blindness. That's your only hope. Just keep on crying. Do you remember that? It wasn't like he cried out once, ah, it didn't work. No, he cried out again and again and again and again until he was annoying because he wanted to see but you probably don't really want to see. If by God's grace and his mercy, he awakens something in you that you want to see, then go home tonight, go to a cabin tonight, and just beg God to open your eyes. Just beg him. Or maybe, it's not that you don't see and you don't care. Maybe you're, you're kind of in this boat where you, you see it, or maybe you don't see it, but you desperately want to. Gosh, I love people in this boat. I love these people. This is like Mark chapter 8, verse 24. Jesus tells a story where he uh, spits on his hand, he wipes on this guy's eyes. He's like, okay, what do you see? And this guy says, I see trees. I see people walking around like trees. In other words, he's kind of sees now, right? But not as fully as he should. So if you want more of this, that means you've tasted it. You've tasted and you've seen that he's good and you want some more of him. Even if you know you don't see him for all he really is. And the answer for you is just to keep on seeking Him. Just keep on going. I don't know why God doesn't just give all of us all the fullness of His glory all at once. I don't know why He doesn't do that. 
but I've seen it in my life. What it looks like is some people that just show up for whatever reason, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and they just keep coming. They won't say they're Christians, but they just keep on coming. I love those people. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. I'm praying for you. Keep seeking the Lord. Or maybe you've seen it, but it's dim now, and you're convicted tonight. You should take heart. Because the Lord convicts those that He loves. So be zealous and repent. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 3. Be zealous and repent. Like if you, if you can't remember the last time you just loved praying to God, like it was just sweet. If you can't remember the last time you sang your heart out in worship genuinely. If you can't remember the last... Like, you should have some warning bells going off in your head, and I'm just begging you, repent, seek Him, love Him. The first step is to recognize you've gone cold. The Lord says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but as it is, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Those are gracious words from our Lord, meant to spark you, scare you, like smack you into seeing His glory again, running away from whatever it is that is hindering you, throwing off every sin and weight which clings so closely. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Pursue Him. Return again. Repent. Confess it to someone tonight. I don't care if you're a director, if you're a Bible study leader, I don't care who you are. If you need to confess tonight that the glory of God has not been real to you and you haven't hungered and thirsted for righteousness, confess it. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sins. Or maybe tonight you see it. <laughs> you see it. You love Him. He's your everything. You want to sacrifice for Him. You want to give Him whatever it is. He's opened your eyes and you're just pumped that He did it. Keep seeking Him. I don't even have to tell you guys that. It's all you want. Right? It's all you want. More of God. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3. This is a guy that's seen him on the road to Damascus, right? He's blinded. He has these crazy revelations of things that he can't even talk to us about. And all he wants is to press on to know the Lord more. That's all he wants in Philippians 3. Not that I've been perfect, but I press on to attain that which Christ bought for me. In other words, guys, just keep seeking God. See the glory of God behind the doctrine. I'm begging you. Don't be content with being doctrinally correct. Super important, of course. But don't be content there. See the glory of God behind the doctrine and just seek Him. Seek Him. And if we do that, I'm talking to us, collect like a body, campus fellowship. If we do that, man, I, I'm, I, I, <laughs> what might the Lord do in 30 years? What might He do? If He doesn't, or if we don't, guys, we're no different from the Catholic Church. We have the same heart. We could fall the same well. The Methodists did. They were on fire for God. John Wesley, that dude was a fireball. And now look at them, right? But if we'll seek the Lord, if we'll uh, ask Him to reveal His glory to us, and who knows what He might do. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we... Um, I just thank Jesus about what you said, uh, that no one knows the Son except the Father. And Lord Jesus, you say that you reveal the Father to whomever you wish. And so Jesus, I know that you rose from the dead. Jesus, you are alive right now. You hear me talking. Jesus, 
Would you reveal the Father to some of us, God? Would you reveal him more fully to some of us? Would you open blind eyes tonight? For people that are dimming in their vision, God, just convict them in your mercy and your kindness. Bring them to repentance like you've done for me time and again, God. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you'd reveal your glory to us. We want to see it, God. We just want more of you. I pray that you'd, uh, you'd do this work in us. We pray in your name. Amen. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.